I have thoroughly enjoyed this series, you know, as we've got a chance to hear what God is doing through different aspects and, and parts of our church, whether it be in our youth ministry, with what uh, Tyler and, and Eric are doing. They've had a couple camps. I was at one of the middle school camps last week. We got kids camp next year. There's just a lot of stuff going on in our youth ministry, and we just love what God is doing there. Uh, you might have enjoyed uh, Adam, you know, as he talked about recovery and what God is doing in our recovery ministries, and it was his first official sermon in the United States of America, you know, uh, which he did a phenomenal job, you know, with. Uh, or Steve, as he talked about local outreach, or John and Hannah Bagalagos, you know, from uh, the Philippines. They actually were one of our partners, you know, that were here, and they got a chance to share, and obviously, Ryan, this last week. Now, you're not going to want to miss next week, because we're uh, going to give Brad and Holland a chance to preach kind of together as we talk about our campuses, the one we have currently in Otis and the one we're launching, you know, in Freeman in just a couple months. And then the following week, uh, we're going to give Trevor and Joe an opportunity to talk about children's ministry, specifically to families. You know, if you have ever had kids around you, there's a lot of things that we need to be aware of and jump in with. So don't want you to miss the next few weeks. But I started thinking about, like, what, what do I want to hit on? What is the thing, you know, that has not already been mentioned or not won't be mentioned that uh, I think is something I love, love, love about our church? And then it hit me. And so I want to be able to kind of unfold this to you. You know, for those of you who are new, this is a perfect, perfect weekend, you know, to be here because I believe that this is the heartbeat of what makes us special. It's the heartbeat of what makes us unique, especially if we can retain it and continue to move forward with it. But before we do, you know, let me just start with this. If it wasn't for people, life would be so much better. No amens on that one. I think about all the major pains that you have experienced in your life. And you will see so much of it has to do directly or indirectly with other people. Gossip, theft, divorce, disobedient kids, stress in your work environment, EGRs, we call those extra grace required people that may be in your life that you know you need just to love them in Jesus' name. And pain, just pain in general. I think about the most painful, the worst times in my life, and they deal directly or indirectly with people. But conversely, if it wasn't for people, life would be so much worse. So much worse. Think about all the major enjoyments in your life. Your graduations, promotions, grandkids, friends, trips, events, wedding, having kids, and you will see that they involved people, or at the very least, you wanted to share whatever accomplishment or joy that you have in your life with other people. How do I know that? I'm on your social media account, and you have a desire to share even what you're eating with other people, you know, what vacations you've gone on and all that kind of stuff. In fact, I start thinking about the funniest, happiest, and most fulfilling times in my life are the times when I may have been low in times and they came along and journeyed with me or, 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 or we just had incredible experiences. Uh, yesterday was one of those uh, funniest times that I've ever had in my life. Uh, we got a chance to go to uh, the movies, went to Hayden, you know, cinema, and uh, watched our $3 movies. Had my older son, Josiah, my younger son, Alex, my youngest daughter, my only daughter, uh, Angeli, and uh, we went to the movies. Well, afterwards, because, you know, it's Hayden, you get to have uh, free popcorn fill-up, so my son thought it would be great to fill up popcorn on our way out. But we had to go to the restroom. So he brings the popcorn into the restroom, you know, with us. My son is 13. He has a middle school mind. And so I'm sitting there washing my hands, and all of a sudden I look over, and he thought it would be a cool idea to see what would happen if he stuck the popcorn under one of those air-drying hand machines. <laughs> 
And he tells me later, he says, well, Dad, I thought I would just kind of stir it up. He put it under, and within two seconds, the popcorn exploded all over the entire, it hit the ceiling and went everywhere. My other son, Josiah, just looked, started cracking up, and he just looks out. He just leaves. And I look at Alex, he's like, he's like, am I going to get in trouble? And I just start cracking up. I start crying. I'm like, what in the world? He goes, I don't know. I thought it'd be cool to see what happens, you know. And so we spent the next few minutes cleaning it up, you know. Uh, and it was, but it was one of the funniest things that I'm ever going to remember, you know, from, you know, Alex and just our time, you know, together. Because the truth is, to be honest, we were all created for relationships. All of us are created for relationships. At first is relationship with other people. You and I are actually hardwired to be in relationship with other people. Uh, here's one of the reasons, you know, that I know. A gal by the name of Amy Banks, uh, who is an instructor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and is the author of a book called Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, Relationships and Brain Chemistry, says these words. Neuroscience is confirming that our nervous systems want us to connect with other human beings. A good example of this is mirror neutrons, is what they called, which are located throughout the brain and help us read other people's feelings and actions. For example, when people are having a conversation with one another, you might notice facial expressions begin to mimic the other person, especially when they're sharing a joy or a pain or a loss. It's called empathy. And our brains are wired to connect that way. In fact, she says this, there have been studies that look at emotions in human beings, such as disgust, shame, happiness, where the exact same areas of the brain light up in the listener who is reading the feelings of the person talking. We are literally hardwired to connect. She says, I think we need to get back to the real basics of having relationships be at the center of our meaning, our connection as individuals and as a society. If we can teach our children how to connect, and we can teach our mothers and fathers and caregivers to raise connected children. We can foster the positive change that is emerging throughout the world. And I couldn't agree with you more, Amy. Here's the coolest thing. I love it when science finally catches up with the Bible, right? It's a scientific evidence that they're all of a sudden finding out as they get to understand the neurosystems of the brain that those of us who've been Christians for a while can look at the Bible and be like, yeah, yeah, God said that uh, for all time. But it's true. We are hardwired for relationship. And it started way, way back in the beginning. Remember the creation story where God creates the heavens and the earth and he creates animals and plants, stars, moon, sun, light, all that kind of stuff. And it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. He gets the sixth day. He creates man. He creates Adam, creates him in his own image. And it's the one time in the creation story, no sin, nothing evil, nothing wrong, nothing bad has taken place that he says it is not good. And that's what he says is in Genesis 2.18. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper right for him. What do you mean alone? Alone? You think that would be paradise, right? He's walking with God. He literally is in the garden having conversation uh, in our vernacular. He's having coffee with Jesus. You know, he's, he's hanging out and it's literally they're having all these great conversations. There's no sin. There's no problem. There's no shame. There's that kind of stuff. He's not alone. And yet God says he is alone in how I created him. See, it's not just about us with one another. It's about us with God. And so because of our connection with God, we have to have relationship with one another. And that leads us to the second relationship. We are relationally connected to God. We are hardwired by God to connect with him. And Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has planted eternity in the human heart. Now it's something that most people don't think about until they attend a funeral service. And we stop long enough to evaluate, huh, is this really all there is? 
You know, could it be that God has created a God-sized hole in our hearts that no matter how much we try to fill with the happiness that we think the world's going to provide, whether it be the excess, you know, of relationships or drugs or power or influence, whatever we may, may be, always leaves us wanting something else. It's like something is missing. It's like we're hardwired for that something. In fact, Jesus says it this way in John 7, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. What Jesus is saying is that you might be thirsty and fill yourself physically. You might be emotionally thirsty and find yourself filled, but there is a thirst that is unquenchable inside of you. And when you recognize that thirst, understand that's the way that God has hardwired us so that we would long to be in a relationship with him. That's how he's created us. And so maybe you don't believe in God. And maybe a friend or a family member, somebody else brought you in today. We're so glad that you are here. But could it be that through that friend, through that other person, that it's leaving you a little curious, a little wondering, is there really a God that's out there? Even that question is not one that animals ask. Could it be that God has kind of hardwired us to ask that very question so that he can meet us where we're at? I want you to process that for for a few minutes because I want to talk for a few moments to those of you who are Christians in the room. You see, here in America, we easily fall, easily fall into, the, into this trap thinking that Jesus is all about me and God, that our connection of following Jesus is about me and him. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say these words, I believe in God, I just don't like Christians. You know, I believe in God, but those Christians are hypocritical. God and I are good. In fact, in America today, 82% of people would say, check the box, that they still believe in God. 70-some percent say they believe in Jesus, and yet you don't see that reflected as it pertains to his people or his church or relationship with other people. See, the problem is we can fool ourselves into thinking, as long as I'm good with God, it doesn't matter about others because God forgives. God loves. God gives grace. Don't judge me. God is my judge. Ever heard that statement? Now, even on the other side of it, on a very holy level in in Christianity, if you trace it back, there were these groups called the monastics and desert fathers. Monastics, where we get the term monk. You know, it's where they pull themselves from society and even from other people to uh, attain a level of connection with God and a level of holiness that they thought could only happen if you separate yourself from society. Uh, the Desert Fathers, you know, a group of people that did the same thing. They would actually go into the desert and they would spend, they would go without because they said world and people bad, connection with God good. This is what we need to find the true enlightenment, the true connection with God. But they missed it because that's not what Jesus teaches. Obviously, we need to connect with God, but it's something so much more. Let's be honest, though. It is easier to have this relationship focused solely on God. You know, and do whatever I want to do throughout the rest of the week. As long as I'm good with God, then I must be good with other people. The problem is that's not God's design and his purpose. In fact, following Jesus at its core in life and purpose is about we and God, not me and God. God hardwired us to be in relationship with him, but also relationship with other people. You cannot separate the two. Now, I've heard people say, uh, I don't want to be a Christian. There's a bunch of rules with Christianity. It takes away all the fun. It holds me back, right? It prevents me from doing whatever I feel like with whomever I feel like as much as I feel like it. And so I don't want these rules, this, this pattern that, that's going to just constrict me to be truly free 
It's to not have any rules at all. And yet, you know this to be true whether you're a Christian or not. Show me any healthy relationship. Spouse, kids, friends, and I will show you the rules that either protect or enhance that relationship. You can't have something healthy without rules. You can't. It just is, it's impossible. Like, I'll give you an example. Marriage, right? Probably not a good idea to commit adultery. Right? Okay? That's going to hurt relationship. What are you talking about? I well, you're hindering me. You're hindering our relationship because I should be able to, to do whatever I want with whomever I want, however I want. Like, no, 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 no. That is actually going to destroy the relationship that you value so much. And those of you guys who've gone through infidelity or you've gone through divorce, you understand exactly the pain in which I am talking about. Rules actually help protect or enhance relationship. Uh, in fact, let me give you an example uh, of the, the Big Ten, right? The Ten Rules. Uh, you might know them as commandments. Uh, they're pretty popular. Ten Commandments. The Great Ten Commandments of the Old Testament. I want you to notice as you read through these, are these commandments, are these rules, or are they relationship opportunities that help to protect or enhance relationship with God and other people? How about this first one? Uh, uh, no other gods before me. Yeah, that would probably hurt relationship with God. All right, so he doesn't want any other gods. Is it because he's restrictive? No, he's wanting something healthy. What about no, no idols and do not worship them? Yeah, that would hurt relationship with God. Don't misuse the name of God. Yep, that would hurt relationship with God. Remember the Sabbath. That helps, that fosters relationship with God. All right, and Sabbath wasn't just binge watching Netflix all day. Okay, that's not what Sabbath was. Sabbath means connecting with God. It's kind of what you're doing now, where you get filled by him in order to carry on through the rest of the week. Because could it be that left on, without a Sabbath, with a time of rest, that we might become workaholics? No, that's other cultures. That's not America. <laughs> Honor your father and mother. Don't you think that helps relationship with others? Those of you parents, say amen. amen. Don't murder. Yep, that hurts relationship. <laughs> Hard to come back from that one, you know. Don't murder. Yeah, that's, that's a hindrance. You know, you murder and the family and all the people. Yep, that's probably a good idea. And you might say, that is silly. Problem is, before this time in human history, this was like, you, might, you and I might say, duh. That was like, no. There was no understanding of what rules of, that would govern or help relationship versus others. If you really upset me, I should kill you. And we see that reflected even in our society today. Don't commit adultery. Yeah, we already talked about that. Don't steal. Yeah, that hurts relationship with other people. Don't give false testimony. In other words, don't lie. That hurts relationship with others. Don't covet the things that belong to your neighbor. Yep, that hurts relationship with others. See, Jesus says when we come to him, when we accept him, we're adopted into his family. Ephesians 1.5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and gave him great pleasure. So his family, him as our father and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why we sometimes call this the family of God because we can enter into healthy relationships even if you've not had healthy relationships biologically or otherwise. We have another opportunity to experience this. Now here's the key. Don't miss this. As an adopted child... The adopted child does not get to determine the rules of the family to make a healthy family. See, I adopted a, a child, and, and the older that your adopted child is, the more that they come hardwired with what they think is right or wrong. 
And so we have spent the last year and a half with our eight-year-old, she was seven when we adopted her, trying to help her understand that these rules that we have that you feel are so constricting you and so making you miserable and unhappy are actually rules that help us in relationship between us and you, that help you between you and your brothers, that help you between you and other people, that even help you in relationship with yourself. And yet at the time, and still at times, she does not feel that way. And then I started thinking, I'm an adopted child too. And how often does my actions say, God, I don't trust your rules. I don't believe your rules to be right. I don't believe that's going to enhance, so I'm going to do it my way. And then I go my way, and then I realize, ooh, maybe your way was better. As adopted children, we have the same thing. We have a loving father who we might feel has these rules, but understand every single rule that he has in Scripture is only there to enhance and help our relationship with him or our relationship with other people. See, it's important because Jesus, according to Jesus, our love for God and others are inseparable. You cannot separate the two. See, in America, we sometimes think that if I believe the right things, I believe about who Jesus is, if I go to church, I sing some songs, I pray before meals, I'm baptized, maybe throw in a little money here and there in the offering that I'm good with God. Problem is, that's not biblical. One day, there was a guy that came up and asked Jesus, all right, Jesus, uh, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest rule? you know, that we should be following. And Jesus says, okay, that's pretty easy. Matthew 22, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And they thought that they were done with the conversation. Great. All I have to worry about is, am God, is God and I good? And then Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes, oh, oh, but there's a second that's equally as important. It's just as important as the first, and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these commandments. Take your entire Old Testament and sums up to love God and love other people. That's what he's saying. He goes, let's make it simple. We, we complex Christianity so often. They're like, no, are we loving God? And out of that love, that connection with God, are we loving other people according to the way he has created and designed? It's not just about me and God. It's about we and God. Let's go a little bit further. In Matthew 5, 23, says, if you, Jesus says, if you are presenting a sacrifice, a gift at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice. God is saying, stop worshiping me, go make things right. But God, I don't have anything against that person. That person has a problem with me. As far as it depends on you, Go make it right, then come back and worship me. Doesn't that sound funny? Shouldn't I be worshiping you? No. Any parent will tell you, go make things right with your siblings, then come and let's work through this. It gets harder from there. Matthew 6, 14, Jesus says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Okay, Jesus, now you're going too far. Are you really saying that if I don't forgive that person, that you're not going to forgive me? Jesus, don't you know what that person did? Don't you know what they said? Don't you know how they act? Don't you know how they mistreated me and you want me to forgive them? Otherwise, you're not going to forgive me. Is that what you're saying, Jesus? Yes. That's exactly what he's saying. Because we cannot separate our love and connection with God with our love and connection with other people. In fact, 
begin to answer this question. How do people know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, for those of you who are? Uh, what is the proof? What is the evidence that you are a follower of Jesus? The Bible would say that it's going to be shown by your fruit, by your fruit. Like, for example, uh, an apple tree. How do you know an apple tree is an apple tree? It produces apples. Okay, this isn't a hard question. But if when you get that first little baby tree and you put it in the ground, you don't know it's an apple tree. People could tell you it's an apple tree. They could have sold you that it was an apple tree. It looks like it's an apple tree. smells like an apple tree. has leaves like an apple tree. And every evidence shows that it's an apple tree, but you don't know definitively. You don't know for certain until it actually produces an apple. And it's an apple tree. Jesus says that they will know that you're followers of me by your fruit. Fruit is exemplified in two ways. One is the fruit of the Spirit. Whenever you see Jesus, you're supposed to embody the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is fruit of the Spirit. Now, how many of those apply to relationship with other people? All of them, right? You'll know that you are a follower of Jesus, demonstrated by fruit. The second area of fruit is sharing the love that you and I have received by Christ and sharing that willingly, freely, in word and deed to other people so that they might come to receive God. That is also fruit. So how do we know we're followers of Jesus? Jesus can't say it any clearer than this. In John 13, 34 and 35, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. That's not new. Everybody in the world knows how to love each other, but here's the new part. Just as I have loved you, so you should love one another. Your love for one another will prove evidence of, fruit of the world that you are my disciples. Jesus, come on, you're wrong. My, my love for you will prove to the world that I am your follower. Uh, my attendance at church will prove to the world that I am your follower. Uh, no, my, when I come and I sing songs and I give financially my time, talents, and treasures, my knowledge of God's word is going to prove to the world that I am your follower. And Jesus says, no, all those things are good, but proof is going to be how you treat one another in the way that I have treated and loved you. That's who we are. And our greatest opportunity and the mark that I believe is our church is this secret sauce. We call this relational discipleship. This is the embodiment. When we live this out, when we come together and do this together and then take it out into our real lives, the world will not be able to help but be attracted to what's taking place. We have a generation that is growing up that is having a hard time understanding what real relationship is about. We're the most connected generation in the world, yet we're becoming the most loneliest generation in the world. And when they find a group of people, because we are hardwired for relationship, when they find a group of people that are loving each other the way Jesus has called us to love one another, we will have to board the doors up to prevent people from coming. Because here's what I've come to realize, if you haven't already. You can get way better speakers every week than me with a click of a button. At your fingertips, you can, you can hear the best preachers and teachers in the entire world. The best Bible studies, uh, the best information, is that your, the best worship music from around the world. You can get at your fingertips. So what makes the church for the next generation different? What makes it special? What makes us say, I love our church? It's going to be based on relationship. Here's what we see even by concerts these days. Uh, you know, the music industry, the way that they're making money now more than any other ways is concerts. 
It's not through the sales of their songs. It's concerts because people still want an experience. They may listen to the song over and over and over in their car, but there's something about going and being with other people, which is why coming together on a regular basis to worship God is a little bit different than just doing it in your car. There's something that happens. You don't believe me? Study science. There's brain connection and connectivity that begins to happen when people come together for a purpose or a reason. God hardwired us that way. What could happen in our church if we continue to head in this direction? Uh, many of you know, um, this summer, a few, few uh, months ago, uh, I got talked into doing a 70.3 Ironman. That is a 1.2-mile swim. You jump out, you get to joyfully ride 56 miles, and then you get to be done with that, and you get to run a half marathon, 13.1 miles. Now, looking at me, you might obviously think, yeah, that's, of course that's something that guy can do. You know, it's... That's exactly what I would think, you know, which you would be right, you know, so I wanted to throw that out there. But uh, I've been kind of working, you know, towards this because I had somebody relationally talk me into it, Eric and Kenny. Er Kenny is uh, one of our, he's the guy who led our worship music here. If you've not been here before, Eric is a little bit taller guy. He's over at Otis, you know, today leading worship. They talked me and they said, hey, why don't you go swimming with us? I'm like, okay, I like swimming. So we did that a few times. Well, why don't you go biking? Biking's fun. I'm like, yeah, biking's fun. How about we go running? I went running. I'm like, running's terrible. Running's <laughs> awful. But they said, no, you have to do this. And so we did little these little baby sprints, and then we kind of increased it. And so, you know, they said, you've got to do it this year. So I trained, worked, you know, and uh, we, we did it together. But here's what I can tell you. It wasn't just relationship. See, a lot of people just think, well, it's just a club. It's a group. It's like a golfing foursome. It's like a ladies group that gets together and does things and the painting nights and the bunkos and the different things, the shopping. It's like, no, 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 no. There's something more to that because we would always have spiritual conversations. So we bring Jesus into the center of that. You know, and it was, was really funny. I got really sick right beforehand. I mean, really, really sick. And so finishing actually became the goal and we finished and it was just a great experience, but that's not what the best part of the day was. The best part of the day was that a guy by the name of Joe Hoffman's joined us. See, Joe was uh, next door neighbors on the boat launch where Eric and Kenny, you know, have their boat in Coeur d'Alene, and they got to meet him on a regular basis, come to find out he's a biker, and yep, he got talked into this as well, right? Oh, you could bike? You can do a 70.3, you know? And so he got into this, and he's like, what did I sign up for? I'm like, yep, that's the effect of Kenny in our lives, you know? <laughs> we all love and hate him at the same time. So he started biking with us, he started running with us, he started swimming with us, and we began to have spiritual conversations. Well, the week before the race, he approaches me, and he says, Dan, I really feel like I need to be baptized. And I said, really? I said, let's do it. He goes, you don't want to do it? I want to do it after the race. I said, well, what if I die or you during the race? That might be more challenging. Do we want to do it before we all meet Jesus? And so we said, let's do it afterwards. Well, his father-in-law, based on relationship, you know, had been processing this and found out that Joe was going to be baptized, and he said, I want to be baptized as well. So on Sunday morning, we had church at Coeur d'Alene Lake, and we got a chance to baptize these two guys with other people wandering around going, what in the world are those guys doing in there? The reason Erica's with me. Oh, yeah, you can have Yeah, Eric's there helping me because I'm like, Eric, I can't bring anybody back up. My legs are way too, way, way too tired. <laughs> See, relational discipleship is how we love and treat one another with Jesus at the center. It's with Jesus at the center. It's not just going to coffee. It's going to coffee 
and making sure that Jesus is at the center. And that's what I believe our world and our culture, especially American culture, is going to be desperate for. And I think we do this well in pockets. But if we embrace this, understanding we need to be in deep abiding relationship with other people, bearing fruit, and being what Christ has called us to be, you will see what God does in and through us. In fact, uh, there is a group of gals, you know, in our church that I have fondly come to know and come to love very dearly. And it's a group that we don't often talk about, that we don't often highlight. And so I thought there's no better time in this series of I Love My Church for you to see how organically this relational discipleship started and how it's played out over the last several years. So go ahead and watch the screens with me now. We're in the series, as you know, called I Love My Church. And so um, I have gotten to know all of you gals, you know, a little bit, some of you guys more than others. And there's even more that's part of this incredible group, you know, and I would just love, you know, people to hear what is this group? Where did it start, you know, and what are some of the things that you love about it? It started about 12 years ago. And Marcia here was one of the original ones. We went to a senior Valentine's party. And we felt increasingly out of place because here we were with no spouses. And Marcia then, I think God spoke into her heart and she invited us to dinner and we said, we have to do something about getting starting a group of people that are alone that we, so we and then she had family problems and another gal took over letting us go to her house and little by little we've just grown we have god has brought us together in many different unique ways and he's their lead, he's our leader and we just love watching him work and these gals are awesome we love each other dearly yeah and pray for each other all the time and it's just a privilege to be part of this group. How big is your group now? We, if everyone shows up, we've got about 19 now. We have widows, yeah. some divorcees. We've yeah. got one woman whose husband is very ill that really reached out. She wants some friends. And I said, you know, we have to just be there for people that need friends. Yeah. But we have doubled in size in just the last few months. Yeah. Words getting out. <laughs> and there is a big need for more groups just like this. Yeah. Why did you decide to, you know, join in? Or how did you get a part of this group? I could tell you. Okay. <laughs> we were exiting the, the pew and we started walking down the, the aisle. And here's this row of ladies. There was eight of them at the time. I saw them and I could hear the laughter. And I swear, I swear, somebody pushed me from behind. <laughs> and I turned around and I looked at my son and his wife, and they were way back there. And they were just standing there grinning, you know, because they knew I'm arrowing right in. So I'm pushed. And I walked over and I said, so this is the where the troublemakers sit. <laughs> and they grinned and whatnot. Me. No, no, never you. Hear from a couple other guys, you know, how did you get connected, you know, um, to, to each other? Because it's not like it's a small church. And so how, how did that happen for some of you guys? Came in one morning and saw an empty pew back there. So I thought, I'll sit in this row today. So I have people come in, ladies from one side, ladies came in on the other side friendly, joyful ladies introduced themselves. 
invited me to join them for lunch. Yeah. And yeah. the rest is history. Oh, I, love it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I had just moved in the night before from Virginia and I was staying at my son and daughter-in-law's place while my house was being built in Post Falls. And my niece and her husband said, well, we want you to come to church and visit us. And I walked through the door and there was a little lady sitting in a chair and she says, I don't believe I know you. And I said, no, because I just moved in last night from Virginia. And so we introduced ourselves and we became good friends right then and there. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the ladies started coming in and she introduced me to them and we've been good friends ever since. I joined a small group and happened to be at uh, Betty's daughter and son-in-law's <laughs> house. And she said, oh, you've got to meet my mom. <laughs> and so she introduced us, and we've been dear friends ever since. I love it. I mean, that was what caught my attention more than anything else, is I just kept seeing this group of ladies, you know, coming in, and the group kept growing and kept growing, you know. And uh, I was like, there's a relational connection that's happening, you know. And I didn't know that you guys didn't know each other when I first met you. I thought there was relatives and connections and you were sisters or friends for 30 years. You know, you had such a, a connection with one another. It seems like you've known each other all your lives. In a way we have, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. because we're sisters in Christ. Yeah, we're is. family. That's right. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what I want to hear. What are some things that you have done together outside, you know, uh, of, of services? So I know that you, you come to services and you've been in small groups together. What are some of the other things you guys have done? We go to lunch, we go to plays, we play cards, um, we go shopping, um, <laughs> things we like watch that. The Seahawks. We, we watch the Seahawks. I just, I really appreciate the group so much because we've been through, we've been through death and divorce, we've been through death by spouses, we've been through, we've had grandchildren that have passed away, we have so many family needs and family situations and health needs. We're all going through our own health situations right now. We really begin to body replacement parts now. <laughs> so, you know, that's a big thing in our life. But I just appreciate, yeah, I just appreciate how, how the Lord had a plan and it was such a small plan and it was so silly and selfish on my part and some of our parts, but how he changed it and brought in all of these different personalities and all of these girls and how we have been such a part of each other's lives. And one of our new gals that's not here today, she said how she came and she was sitting all by herself one time and then this is before we had met with her and I leaned over to her after she sat with us for the first time and just, just think you're never going to sit alone again <laughs> and it's fun now to see the fruitation of that and that's this group and, and our friendship and our relationship with the Lord I think it's encouraged oh, all of us in the oh, Lord yes, oh, yes. personally because you can't minister to one another if you don't have a relationship within yourself mm -hmm. with the Lord you have nothing to give we love our church. And so you guys are lucky because they are here at this rest. Raise your hand, gals. You know where you're at. You know, right there. Two rows. 
you know, today. <laughs> what a perfect example of relational discipleship. It's not just relationship. It's relationship with Jesus at the center, recognizing it's not just about us. We have our eyes open to say who else might need this. And the reason it's growing so fast now is because it's infectious. Is that people can't help, but like, that's something I long for. They all had relationship with Jesus, but there was still a feeling of isolation and an aloneness. And they're like, it's not good that we should be alone. And so God placed that on Marsha's heart and then Betty got involved and, you know, the May and just kind of continues and continues and continues because people understand the importance of being in that connection with God as we're in connection with other people. Uh, here's what I know is that we can't love others the way Jesus called us to without his strength and his power. If I just try harder, I'm just too selfish. I need him. And so do you. In John 15, it says, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I can't produce the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness without Jesus. I just can't. I have to stay connected to him for him to do his work that only he can do on the inside out. So what do I love about our church? I love how we love God and how we love one another. And we call that relational discipleship. Imagine what would happen if we continue to embrace this. It'd be the defining moment, not just for our church, but I think it'll be the defining moment of this next season of our church and the next generation. And so for you, what is your next step? You know, where are you in relationship with God and others? So here's three options that I think involves everybody here. First, maybe you want to consider joining a relational discipleship group this fall. We're kicking off something again called Rooted. You know, whether you're brand new to this faith, interested in faith, you've been a Christian all your life. Rooted has something that will challenge and encourage you to go deeper in your relationship with God, but also not do it alone and in relationship with other people. Maybe, you know, you need to invite others to join you in a relational discipleship group this fall. And I know, I know you're like, wait a minute, Dan, I've got my group of friends. I've got my people. No more, no more. Aren't you glad the disciples didn't say the same thing? Right? Whatever you've received, God wants us to be able to share and give. And so maybe you need to target somebody else. Say, yeah, join my group. Be involved in mine. Or maybe lastly, maybe you need to commit to leading a relational discipleship group this fall. You'll grow so much if you've been in groups for a while and you're like, I think it's time for me to step up and lead. Or maybe, for some of you in this room, you need to start a connection with Jesus. And he brought you in here for a reason. And it's to hear this whole journey so that you might have connection with him for all eternity. But it's not just you and him that you are part of the family of God for all eternity. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for today. I pray that you just guide the decision in our own hearts. Father, whether it be to accept you, and if there's someone here who's not yet accepted you, maybe today is the day that you would pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I receive you into my life, and I give you my life in return. Thank you for filling that God-shaped hole in my heart, in my mind, in my soul. Help me, Father, to be in relationship with other people. God, for the rest of us, I pray that we would just evaluate what does relational discipleship mean and what's the next step. Thank you for the example of the gals in our church. And I pray that we'd all be living in that model, whether we're in middle school, whether we're in high school, you know, whether we're single, whether we're married with kids, married, whatever it may be that you have us in, Father. May we be the kind of church and people that love others the way you have called us to love. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.